Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the View from the Nest podcast. I'm AG, and uh, as always, I'm joined here by Paul. This week, we talked to Matt Feinstone at Loopring, um, who has up sort of business development and, and partnerships and uh, other sort of business-specific work at, at Loopring. And uh, we really talk about kind of level two as it relates to Ethereum scaling, but also specifically about DPI on level two and, and the benefits and kind of the frameworks and how we think about liquidity mining and, and things of that nature. So it, it was, uh, for me personally, it was, it was rather educational and, and insightful episode. How, how did you find it, Paul? So not to talk up the index co-op too much, um, but yeah, we, we've obviously been complimented in the past for our rigor and the way that we approach things but we've built up a really good relationship with the guys at loopring and um, it was good to hear matt talk about that obviously he dove into the technical details of how loopring works in terms of the um, order books and market making and the different options that are available and now they're trying to blend those as well um, so th there's a lot of stuff going on in the background there it's not it's more than just a, a layer two scaling solution that they've that they've got going on. So yeah, it was good to hear from him today. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. I, I think it was uh, rather fascinating as well with uh, how they're approaching the the mobile wallet and, and how they view that as sort of part of the business, right? Like you don't really see that in in DeFi as much. It's sort of like, imagine Uniswap developing a wallet, um, obviously different, different scale, but a, a similar concept. So I, I found that uh, rather interesting. And uh, yeah, I think in general, like, sort of the color that he provided on scaling and, and where we are in the scaling journey uh, for Ethereum just made me very uh, optimistic about, you know, w where we are and, and where we had um, it. Was, it was really great to hear. Uh, no pun intended there, of course, because Loopring is a ZK roll-up, not an optimistic solution. So uh, just to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> obviously could, could be optimistic about ZK roll-ups. It's not exclusive right uh this brings us to conversation with our guest today um who is uh matt feinstone who is head of business development at loopring matt welcome thanks for joining us today and uh look forward to talking about l2 loopring and dpi on loopring thank you for having me uh artem and uh, the whole community pleasure uh, great. So let's uh, let's dive right in. Uh, could you could you give us a, a brief overview of sort of your background and uh, what what you do at Loopbrain, what your role is? Yes, sure. So um, I come from a f traditional finance background, tradfi, I guess we call it these days. Uh, I um, got into the space maybe four or five years back, um, got in with, um, with Loopring uh, three and a half years ago, shortly after it, uh, it launched. Yeah, I, I had discovered the project as a, right when it launched and I just became really kind of obsessed with it back then. And uh, that, that's how I joined. Before that, I was working as a, uh, on a fixed income trading desk on uh, sales and trading for, um, like institution, in, like institutional sales with uh, just covering bonds and other fixed income products. Um, yeah, that's uh, 
I guess that's most relevant for the background. And uh, at, at Loopring, you mostly focused on sort of business development, business relationships, if, if I understand that correctly. Yes, right. I, uh, so I, I, I guess it's a bit of a catch-all, uh, anything business-related or a lot of operational stuff, uh, community stuff. As you guys know, the, the need to wear many hats um, in this space. Uh, but yeah, Loopring is like a really um, engineering-focused and, and heavy team. Uh, we're about 25. Most of us are based in Shanghai, and most of us are engineers. So then there's me just trying to help out with, with everything on the, on the business side, actually bring the, the great technology into to market and into products. Right, right. Yeah, and uh, obviously we've we've been sort of working with you guys for the last uh, months or so, maybe a little bit longer, and certainly really excited about the benefits of L2 scaling and what that brings to to the consumer. So let's just talk a little bit about L2s, and uh, obviously for for those who are not too familiar with with technology, it's basically a scaling solution to solve some of the congestion and high gas prices that, that we see on Ethereum. So can you tell us where are we on sort of this journey of L2s actually solving Ethereum's scalability problems? Yeah, I, I think it's it's well on its way to solving Ethereum scaling challenges. It, uh, it currently, layer two could currently solve many of the most uh, used uh, functionality or, or use the most common behaviors on Ethereum like trading and swapping and liquidity providing. So very uh, DeFi related uh, operations. ZK rollups could solve that, right? So like Loopring was the first ZK rollup. Uh, it's been live on mainnet for about 14 or 15 months. Well, there's there's two versions in, in that time period. Uh, the, the version two launched just a few months ago. Um, and so layer two has been able to scale Ethereum-based trading for for over a year, you could say. Loopring's first ZK rollup was just uh, supported order book trading functionality. So we were able to increase that by 1,000x um, while maintaining Ethereum-level security guarantees. And then more recently, we added AMM functionality. So just like a different type of market structure for, for exchanging, as, as you and your listeners are, are familiar with. Um, and also payments, of course, which is something that others solve uh, as well, other ZK rollups. So right now, Ethereum could scale order book trading, AMM-based trading, and payments or, or token transfers. So that, that's where we are. And, and as we all know, the, the next big shoe to drop is uh, more generalizable things. Uh, anything you could do on layer one, just arbitrary, um, you know, whatever you, you think up, being able to bring that on layer two, We'll be able to do that very shortly, it seems, with optimism and, and other optimistic roll-up implementations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's quite exciting. I think a lot, of, um, a lot of folks in the DPI community have been interacting with Looprings L2 decks for, for sort of swaps. And I think as we see with volatile markets, right, and high gas prices, it doesn't give you too many opportunities to actually trade when it's when there is significant volatility like because there are significant spikes in in gas prices so i know personally for me i've actually just put like a certain amount of uh, stable coins on l2 so that when there is significant volatility in the markets i can actually trade it 
what uh, what other behaviors, like user behaviors, are you seeing on on L two uh, since you rolled out the the second version of your uh, AMM? What are you noticing? What are some of the some of the key lessons from that? Yeah, so what you did just say is is kind of like a, a typical behavior pattern. Now, many of the the users that have discovered layer two say, "Wow, this is great!" You know, whenever there's going to be another thousand Gui day, I'll be able to to actually move and and do something, right? Whether that's sell ETH for stable coins or or buy DPI on a dip, right? I'll be able to do it at the click of a button and not be priced out. We're definitely noticing though now, like with AMMs in, in this version, uh, which is where a lot of DPI activity has been happening there's now passive liquidity provision, right, by, by definition. So users, whereas before with order books, it was more like, you know, sophisticated uh, liquidity providers, algorithmic traders. Now there's there's a there's a, a place for anybody to kind of earn something on their, on their assets on layer two. So by being LPs in the, in the pool. So that's, of course, been really nice. And that's ticked up, liquid, made liquidity tick up, made volume tick up. Right, just for for all the same reasons that AMMs have been winning the Dex race on, on Ethereum Layer One, that has held true for like within Loopring itself. More volume, more liquidity on the in the pools versus on the books. And we're we're looking though. Besides just that, we're looking to get a whole bunch of uh, more functionality enabled through a few novel ways. Maybe we we'll talk about that in a second before I, I ramble on into that, but. Um, yeah, that, that, that's what we've noticed for now. Cool, thanks, Matt. So while we're on the subject of like user behavior, um, I was trying to think before the call today of some questions that you might not have been asked. Like I, I watched your interview on, on Bankless. I think I've seen you on a podcast somewhere else talking about Loopring. But something you touched on in the intro was that you're based in Shanghai. So I lived in Shanghai myself for two years. And actually, it was the first place that I bought crypto was um, when I first moved out there. That's when I kind of got into it in 2017. So I didn't see a hell of a lot of like blockchain, DeFi stuff. I know it wasn't as popular as it, as it is now while I was out there. Um, but China's always in the news for like banning Bitcoin and making it difficult and their capital controls. So I'm just really interested to understand like how come Loopring is based in Shanghai and what do you see like in terms of the Chinese population are they active into this stuff uh, do they have to keep it quiet um, just interested because we yeah we don't see a great deal of Chinese participation in, in the discord right uh, good question Paul I hate to disappoint you and maybe I, I wasn't clear with my answer I probably said we speaking for the team I just to be clear I'm based in Canada but then the 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 twenty three other loop ringers are based in in Shanghai. But um, I could still answer a bit of this, but take my words with with a grain of salt versus uh, even what you might have experienced on the ground there, and what my colleagues or, or other uh, people in that market would would know. But yeah, like it, it definitely informs us, and we are a bit loop rings a bit different for many reasons. But that's definitely one of them. Just uh, maybe what we see as like uh, the user behavior and, and how people want to use this, but. The first thing is, from a product standpoint, we are very focused on our mobile app right now, which um, I think as, as uh, Index uh, you know, co-op, or as you, you guys know, that um, we have the, the mobile wallet, like a smart contract wallet. And that is kind of, even though it's like a smaller piece of the business now, and a lot of people don't realize that, oh, Loopring is also building 
a smart contract wallet. I thought it's just a layer two. We are really keen on delivering our, our protocol, like the ZK rollup protocol and all that allows in a mobile product. Cause that's how, uh, I mean, that might be true anywhere in the world right now that people are, are mobile first or everything is going mobile first, but certainly in the, in the Chinese market, we want to deliver this, you know, this Ethereum L2 experience in mobile form uh, or, or at least very prominently in mobile form as well as, as desktop. So, so that's a big thing. Um, and you know, if you, if you pay attention to Loopring, now you, you kind of get the sense that this that this wallet is going to become a very kind of big thing for us, a, a mass market potential. Even though most people are still interacting with Loopring via via the web app, so so that's that's one thing. The other thing is, I mean, I think our market maybe just really appreciates our technology and like our unwillingness to sacrifice on any little piece of security at all, right? Because just a different regime there and different, I guess, way of thinking about money and security, right? In, in Loopring is 100% Ethereum security guarantees. You don't have to trust us or worry about us or anything like that. So I think that's extra appreciated there. From an operation standpoint, Loopring is, is based in other jurisdictions as well. Just physically, our, our team members uh, are based and, and live there. But um, we also deal with other regulatory regimes um, for, for the sake of operating the the front end and and the back end relayer, but yeah, that that's 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 pretty much it. We we basically think that the East is going to be just massive for uh, for crypto adoption, and the application layer might really explode there more so than the West. Even I mean, I'm not, I don't hold this opinion so strongly, but you just get a sense of the the magnitude of the opportunity to to be like a dominant player there and to really bring Ethereum. To the masses there in a scalable, secure way. I think it's a it's a huge opportunity, and it does differentiate Loopring a little bit. That's really cool to hear you say that, and it's a nice bit of insight because I, it's something that I don't think a lot of the Western projects really think about is like the the consumer in the East and the, the people that are using these kind of um, projects and these applications. So yeah, it's, it's cool cool to hear that. I mean, from my time there at least, I remember like jumping on the subway on the way home and literally everybody is on their mobile like heads down some of them playing things like PUBG on the mobile in the subway and it's just crazy like I've never seen that level of screen time from a from a population so it makes sense that that's why you're kind of going mobile first with that um and I'm really excited about that I I'm an iPhone user myself so I'm patiently or impatiently waiting you guys to launch the uh, ios app so that i can jump on that um so yeah if you've got any updates on the roadmap for that that would be greatly appreciated yeah uh thank you for for bringing that up paul i mean um and anticipating it um yeah so i guess i'll address that very quickly the the mobile app has been out on android for for quite a while it's, it's working quite quite well i mean there's still some problems like actually deploying your smart contract wallet at uh, like initialization at, right when you get there that's an l1 operation um so it's a bit of a barrier to entry to literally deploy your smart contract is is pretty gas heavy so it's a bit of a um you know an investment before you actually get on layer two um but we're going to be working on turning that into like a layer two operation itself right something vitalik speaks about quite a bit is like smart like the intersection of smart contract wallets and layer two kind of two forces for mass market ability right scalability and nice ux and gas being abstracted and no delays um that 
plus smart contract wallet, the, the nice properties of removing a seed phrase and replacing that with social recovery schemes, basically like you, you name guardians, which could be other uh, addresses that you control or addresses of friends or addresses of institutions, or maybe even addresses of a DAO. Maybe I could name the index co-op as one of my guardians on, um, on my loop ring wallet. Uh, and and they can the DAO controls one of the one of the keys like so so really that's the wallet just for anybody that doesn't that, that wasn't aware as far as iOS so in case anyone's listening is like hey I actually saw the app on iOS it's there we released it but we haven't gotten we haven't announced it at all that it's on iOS because it's still quite buggy that release like it it, it crashes and there, there's a few UI issues. I know we, we pushed some updates. We're just waiting for it to get through, I guess, the gatekeeping and for it to be available in the app store there. So I think it should be imminent, imminently available on iOS. Uh, I hope so. Well, I'm one uh, is not an iOS user, which, uh, you know, excludes me from Clubhouse, but at least I can use the Loopring mobile wallet. So uh, trade-offs. Right. Much cooler than <laughs> absolutely. Um, so let's let's turn let's turn our attention to to DPI a little bit. So you you were kind of really proactive working with with the Index Corp community uh, to get us to sort of incentivize DPI and L two get DPI and L two. I think you you almost got involved in like early December. So it, it's been a while. What like what made you think that DPI would be a success on on L two? Like how how did you how did you go around like go about figuring it out? Did you look at like Uniswap volume or or some other metrics uh, that that kind of told you that DPI would do well? Right, that's a good question. I wish I could say that it was such a calculated uh, decision, and I had all the inputs, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a winner on layer two. But it was more of just like a gut feeling, and being like, okay, this is a really cool product. It's, it, I mean, it, it sells itself, right? Just nice DeFi exposure and a in a in a token being managed by a, a proactive and, and decentralized community. So I just, I just like the product, like uh, as a as a, just a, a participant in DeFi. And um, I mean, I guess it was also nice that LRC was included in there. So, so thanks for that, right? The loop bringers uh, appreciated that. But then it just, I, I, it's, I think it, it makes sense that, okay, we're bootstrapping this environment uh, layer above Ethereum that doesn't, it's not going to have a million liquid pools right away. You're not going to have like a very deep pool for, for uh, SNX and for Ave and for and for Maker immediately or uh, all these things, but maybe we could focus our attention on DPI and an index product that uh, encompasses it all. Um, we work on getting that liquid, so then people could have at the click of a button the the ability to go into broad DeFi exposure on layer two, even if it's all even if all its constituents were not liquid or maybe not even listed in some cases yet, because you know it's still a bit of a process to get the long tail of assets up there not that uh, the components of dpr are long tail at all but yeah that was the thinking just one product to, to to rule them all or to represent them all so let's work on getting that liquid and you know i was aware of the mining programs going on on layer one i said this community uh clearly understands the the importance to having it liquid and maybe liquid on different venues or different layers of ethereum would be something they're interested in and the community was super receptive. I mean, I barely did anything. I wrote, I wrote one little thing and then the community just ran with it. So 
uh, it, was, it was really all all you guys and and, and all the the, the co-op or coop as I know some people call it. <laughs> I, I say, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, it's interesting actually. I haven't thought about it that way. Where you know, instead of having twelve different assets, have an ETH pair and building liquidity for those, you just use DPI as a proxy, which is which is fascinating to me because that's what we say, right? That's how we promote the product. We say it's a proxy for for DeFi, but I never really connected it to to L2 until until you just said it. Um, so right, uh, quite interesting. Um, so let's talk a little bit about like what constitutes success of a liquidity mining campaign on L2. Uh, so that's something that we've grappled with um, a little bit over you know this period of extending two-week liquidity mining incentives. How do you guys think about it? Do you assess which pairs are doing well and, and which which aren't, or you just kind of look at aggregate liquidity on, on the decks uh, without sort of digging into individual programs? Yeah, very good question. Um, so here again, it's, you know, it, it's still relatively early, like liquidity mining on layer two. We didn't know what to expect, how sticky liquidity would be, what um, the APRs that like the capital would, would demand, uh, stuff like that. So it was really just, uh, guess and check, and l- l- let's let's experiment a bit. And and DPI has been um, like a standout success, I guess I, I could say. Uh, I mean, it, it's now run for a few rounds. So rounds currently are fourteen days, as 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 you you all know. Um, we're changing this. Uh, we think it's a bit too short every fourteen days to to consider. We we like this this rapid pace at the beginning to experiment, but our community and and other communities would prefer, I think, like a, uh, a four-week period so they know they could rest their capital there for longer. So that's just a side point. But um, how, how we judge it, I guess, is the liquidity of, of the pool. And um, I mean, you have to measure everything I'm about to say with like a lens of layer two, where not everything is, uh, you know, it, it's not the same billions of dollars that some pools could garner on, on layer one. But DPI is currently, if, if I'm not mistaken, like a top three or four pool on 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 Loopring. DPI ETH is a top three or four pool with five or or or, or six million dollars in it. So, like that's that's good, right? I think like the first two are like LRC ETH and LRC WBTC. Maybe sometimes an ETH USDT pair, and then DPI ETH right up there. So. Just uh, you don't need to go much deeper than that. To say okay, this is a, a relative great success. It's 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 right up there. People are loving it. And then in terms of the um, the liquidity mining, you kind of see that the rate that the market has settled on, like the capital chasing those those index rewards and DPI ETH, like it, it really goes like the rewards are attractive. Like they're but they go pretty low, meaning it's attractive enough and like risk like riskless enough at least you know people not anticipating such perhaps impermanent loss between dpi and eth that the the api right now is is only 10 percent um i say only because you know uh, we live in a world where people want to ape into five digit uh apys so it's it's quite nice that there's there's five million dollars consistently chasing 10 percent um it's like it's like a really nice risk adjusted return i think for our l2 participants so and then of course there's there's volume the way to measure it and i think dpie does a few hundred thousand dollars most days or some days so it's turning over quite nicely relative to that that liquidity and just in general you know loopring as a venue does between like five and thirty 
million dollars in volume most days. So a couple hundred thousand is uh, is a, is a is a pretty decent chunk of that. So by all measures, DPI ETH has been really um, a success for our liquidity mining. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the reasons, right? You mentioned the the impairment loss on DPI ETH pool is um, less significant than on some of the other pairs. Like the correlation between the assets um, is is actually rather high. It's almost 0.7. And I think the beta of, of DPI to ETH is about uh, 0.55. So it, it's it, it's relatively well correlated. So the impairment loss is, is not that high. I think uh, after the first liquidity mining cycle, we did uh, some, some analysis looking at trade sizes, right? And uh, we saw that the median trade is just half, half ETH, which at the time I think was, uh, I don't know, 700 bucks or $800 for a trade. And... That's sort of exactly what we were looking for, right? To sort of give a venue, give an opportunity for smaller holders to to actually transact when gas prices are high with with low slippage and be able to sort of get that get that exposure. Um, so I think, yeah, from from our perspective, it's been uh, certainly a, a very interesting experiment, and to see five million off liquidity, and I think it was up to seven, seven and a half million at one point with almost seven hundred k daily volume is quite exciting. Let's uh, let's turn to you know your your order book exchange for for a second. So uh, if my understanding is correct, the order book is basically maintained by uh, let's call them professional. Uh, market makers, right? So they incentivize in a way to quote much tighter than than what you have on the AMM. What is the status, I guess, of the order book, and and what are you seeing in terms of volume, in terms of uh, behavior? Like, is it different uh, from uh, behavior on on the AMM side of things? Yeah, good question. Um... So, but just touching on something you said, because I focus like um, I, re- I was really only speaking about the like liquidity side and uh, like exchange level metrics. Let's keep in mind that like uh, the reason why I guess both our communities or or, or or we we love this was the ability for people to buy DPI w- like without being priced out. So forget like layer two users who are already there being able to to get DPI, but also just right having a venue where people could buy half an ETH or less worth of of DPI without the transaction fee making it um, infeasible. So I just I definitely just want to highlight that. I, I appreciate um, the indexes, the index co-ops effort for that reason to have a place where somebody could get DF, uh, DPI exposure um, cheaply. So I just want to highlight that, which is something we hear from our users a lot. Uh, so so it, it, it makes me feel good when people could buy uh, could buy it and not you know feel priced out. Oh, I love DeFi, but I can't even buy it because of the gas fees. That's kind of a shame. So it's really nice to have a place where you could do that. Bring started life as an order book DEX protocol, right? Pre-ZK rollup, we were just building order book DEXs on Ethereum three and a half years ago, which was a really, you know, crummy experience to have order books on layer one Ethereum for all the reasons your listeners probably realize, you know, high fees to place an order, to cancel an order, high latency, uh, right? So like really slow, whereas order books need like fast, cheap kind of market makers being able to place, you know, multiple and place and cancel multiple orders per second, obviously a non-starter for Ethereum layer one. That's why we looked at ZK rollups, you know, I guess two and a half, uh, two years ago, 
was to to start scaling our own order books. That's why we became the first ZK rollup just to solve our own problem to make order books performant and like emulate centralized exchange experience. So all that said, we are very much order book people, and the first version of our ZK rollup like fifteen. Uh, f- 15 months ago was just an order book exchange. And then the AMM came up and took the front seat for, for all the reasons we've, we've been alluding to. And now like our order book is, is still there and it, it's taken a bit of a back seat uh, as we focus on the, on the AMM, which was like the newer and shinier and just objectively more used thing. But now we think order books are super important uh, for, for many reasons. A, it invites a different sort of liquidity provider in, right? They're, they're traditional liquidity providers, market makers, the ones that are quoting, right? Not just passive capital uh, depositing into, uh, into a curve and, and being like anybody else. These are people or firms or, you know, uh, or, or individuals that have skills or a view on the, uh, on the price of, a, of an asset or a strategy and they want to implement that, not be bound to a curve, just like all the other passive liquidity in a pool. So it invites a different sort of, of liquidity provider. And, uh, and these market makers, like let's call them, when I, when I usually refer to the order book, I call the liquidity providers market makers just to distinguish, even though you, you could call both liquidity providers. They, provi- they provide a different sort of experience. It might, be, it, might be tighter, it might be tighter for a lot of different types of assets. It might be... Um, it might um, it might in, in adverse like market conditions it might act differently than than an AMM. Um, so it's good to have to have both sorts of of uh, liquidity. And the big thing is capital efficiency. An AMM pool in, in most cases. I know there's like different models now where we can use like oracles and diff- for different capital uh, efficiency. But in general. AMM pools are not so capital efficient. You're you're basically dumping a lot of capital in there, sitting there, so we can facilitate these trades. Whereas with on an order book, you could have much less capital quoting tightly at like those those first levels, those first bids and asks. You could have a you know a professional who is who is who who is quoting there. They don't need all that liquidity behind them. They feel comfortable quoting. You know the. 99 cents and one dollar and one cent there at, at a certain depth so it's much more capital efficient which is a nice property and and yeah just invites the, the, the different sorts of people and what we see now j- just to be clear like we don't have so many professional market makers on loopring exchange we, we've opted for again a community liquidity mining approach where there is liquidity mining on our order books similar to the to the, the way it works with an AMM uh, liquidity providers on the order books get rewards as well for for leaving tight resting limit orders on certain incentivized books. They get rewards as well. So we're ramping that up now. Uh, our our order books are not as liquid or and deep as as the pools, but we're actually about to start working with some professional market makers, and we're about to you know just give it its like back its like prominent place within Loopring, uh, go back to our to our order books. And, and the final thing I'll say is we're actually about to try to blend liquidity from the, the AMM pools and order books. So a single taker, because uh, right now they have to choose, you're either swapping against a pool or trading on an order book, but soon we're going to blend them. So a single order can execute half-half uh, against the pool, against the book, uh, r- like routing for, for, for best execution. 
So you'll have two types of liquidity providers, passive and active, and a single taker will, will be routed by the relayer uh, for, for the best execution. So uh, we think it'll be a really nice mix, whereas right now they're, they're in isolation. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating to me. And that, that was uh, sort of the next, the next topic, the next question I wanted to ask you. Um, so is, is, are you going to have uh, kind of a single user interface um, for this blended pool, I guess? Or like, how is that, how's it going to work? Like, am I going to come, come to the platform and I'm just going to have one interface and in the background, it's just going to route either through the AMM or, uh, or the order book. Yes. That's, that's how it's going to look. We're actually, we're about to redo the whole web UI, hopefully have something out by the um, end of April or so. And within that release, there will be that, that blended, uh, ability and um yeah you'll just tr you'll see a, a unified price right whether i guess you could either you'll be able to either look on a simple swap ui it's like right now the, the way the amm like most amms it's like a you know just two box and two boxes an input and input and a and an output usually or you can go to right now on loopring the the trading like the order books and you see the familiar uh you know the books the depth and and, and the price chart so I guess we will still expose, depending what a taker wants to see, a simple swap UI or a more advanced trading UI. But in both cases, it'll be pool and book behind there. So uh, on the abstracted way, you'll be pulling a single price. And on the, on the order book side, I think you'll basically be seeing the AMN pool um, in, like, uh, like represented on the order books. So it'll look kind of that, that that's my interpretation I, I i could be wrong but yeah the, the point is to present a single unified source of liquidity and just make it a, a, a more delightful process for the for the takers for the users yeah that's that's great i'm i'm quite excited about it and look forward to to seeing it and, and sort of playing around with it um so another question relating to this and i i might be you know, really misunderstanding this, but it, it would be good to clear out if, if that's the case. So I think there was there was a debate about unifying order book and um, AMM liquidity. And I think it was in regards to one of the exchanges, exchange apps on, on Solana. And it's sort of, the, the debate went along the lines of because market, pay, market makers on order book quote tightly, they'll get majority of the orders. But then when market conditions deteriorate and the market makers on the order book sort of pull away from providing liquidity, like that, those orders are going to be routed through an AMM, which are not sort of the, the orders where, you know, you actually generate fees, a higher impairment loss and, and uh, lower fee orders. Is that, is that a valid argument or am I, am I missing something there? Hmm. So, so just to be the argument is that um, uh, order book market makers will be there quoting the tightest in normal times, and then um, uh, like in 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 super volatile markets, they will you know protect themselves, either exit the book completely or just widen their spreads, and that's when the the AMM pool becomes more important or or actually is used to fill most of the volume. Is that the is that the premise? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think so. Um, I, th it sounds like it makes sense. Like t to me, as a, I mean, just for that 
those like basic truths about, um, yeah, you know, market makers being sophisticated and having tools at their disposal and basically just having like choice, right. They, to, to, to leave the book or to quote wider, whereas, uh, AMM LPs are there either. They, I don't want to say like they forgot about their liquidity, but they're just like, they're, it's, it's like a, it's just a different, it's just a different sort of behavior, like different priorities. They might be okay to withstand certain volatility. They are, uh, they don't wish for impermanent loss, but I think it's safe to say that most AMMLPs will not fine tune their strategy so much and uh, remove liquidity and then uh, put it back in. The whole point is they they don't really, they don't care. They don't have such a strong view. They think, I mean, I mean hopefully they, they realize the potential risks of impermanent loss, but they're okay with it. They think it might go really a wild swing one day and then back the next, but they think it's going to go you know, back to where they started it. And all the while they're happy to have generated fees. Whereas a market maker, it's their livelihood to not, you know, take those days for granted. They don't want to have a, a, a losing day like that. They will just widen their spreads. And um, so, so I think it's, I, I think it makes sense from a purely qualitative point, point of view. Um, I guess like a, a term that like a market maker would use here is when there's like toxic flow, forget about volatility, which is, you know, generally a, uh, like a, a good thing for for many trading strategies, but if there's like toxic flow, like you know, there's like a really motivated seller with massive size behind some orders, then a market maker will you know drop their bid or exit completely. They don't want to you know just be you know pummeled with that toxic flow. And but it's true as you say, like the AMM pool will be there, right? It's just like it's just kind of there, more naive, happy to absorb it. Um, because that's that's just the the style that it is. So I think that makes sense. Um, I'm not sure if what I just said uh, makes sense in regards to that, but that, that's how I view it. So you don't think it it sort of disadvantages the AMM liquidity providers? Does it disadvantage AMM liquidity providers to be part of a system that blends in order books and then? And then later on, like those order books may leave. Does does that disadvantage them versus just being in a system where it's just uh, AMMs? Well, I think that if it's just AMMs, you'll probably see more order flow through an AMM, right? But if it's blended, then most of the order flow is actually going to flow through the order book market makers and not through an AMM. And the AMM liquidity providers will only see kind of that toxic flow that you're talking about. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. Yes, sorry, I, I kind of didn't uh, get to the heart of that question. That's that's actually, um, yeah, that's that's a fair point. That in you know they will kind of be stepped in front of with, with tighter quotes, and then they'll get. Um, that's uh, it's interesting. I don't have such a strong I don't have such a strong opinion on it. I guess besides what I what I just said, I'm not so sure. I don't. I don't think they should be particularly disadvantaged. Hmm. If they were disadvantaged, it's kind of like a. You're kind of saying like, "Oh, that's unfair to them." But in a perfectly rational and liquid market, you'll have somebody bridging order books. Yeah, I guess kind of what we're saying there. I'm not so sure if this makes sense that I'm about to say, but then we're saying that oh, that system is less fair to 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 AMMs uh, if there's an order book like 
also there. But if you think about it, there should be no difference. Even if it's not part of the same project, um, you could have, um, you, I'm trying to, so two separate projects, like there's an R, there's a, there's an arbitrager who's standing in between, you know, uh, let's call it, um, balancer and Binance, uh, pool versus order book. And, and, and so they're, they're bridging it. I basically, I'm just saying like in a super fluid way, like the liquidity will always go to the tightest, to the tightest thing, even if it's, even if it's not on that, in that same system and, and blending, but I guess there's the counterpoint that um, if someone's arbing against another venue, it's because there's takers that don't care about that price on the other venue. And when they're arbed against, it's good for the LPs because it's volume. So if you're actually being arbed against as a separate venue, but if you're just not being arbed against and being stood in front of by, by uh, true market makers, then you don't have that benefit of being arbed against or being taken by less price sensitive takers i don't know this is a bit as you see this goes i'm not so sure i don't know if i'm uh i don't know if if i have a great answer these are just my like off the cuff thoughts <laughs> yeah yeah no it's uh it's certainly you know it's an interesting question and and we're gonna we're gonna see it we're gonna see it play out i think you guys are looking into sort of blending that liquidity i think that project on solana that I initially saw this argument is looking to do the same, so we're gonna we're gonna sort of see that uh, play out. Let me ask you, I guess, on on a on a, on a different different note, kind of moving away from Texas and, and order books. How did you find working with IndexCorp and and kind of is there anything that I guess we as a community can can do better, or that you found that you know we weren't kind of on top of our game in, in some of these things. Um, what's, what's your overall experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, uh, interesting question. I mean, um, it's, it's been great. Uh, like as I, it's been one of the standout successes on, on loop rings layer two. So I have of course only good things to say. Um, and you know, I guess I've spoken with you and other representatives of the, of the co-op and, uh, you, you know, you guys are, are pretty serious, right? You you spoke with us. You wanted to have data about about uh, the average trade size, right? Like that's a nice property of a ZK rollup. We were just able to give you all the data from uh, from on chain, or even if let's say we didn't want to give it to you, all the data is on chain. But you know, you, you guys dug in. I'll, I'll I'll say this: not everybody does that, right? Not everybody kind of like tries to prove out their thesis of of you know you're. Our initial thesis was let's allow people to do smaller trades, not be encumbered by by gas. And you guys actually wanted to see if that was true, and you did. So um, not everybody does that, right? They just they they put the liquidity up, and they're they're happy to have have it up there. And it, it seems like a success. But you guys actually wanted the quantitative uh, the, the figure, so that's that's really good. And um, I I'm impressed by that, and it might help us uh, tweak. Um, or it, it allows us to actually prove to other uh, partners about uh, the outcomes of this. So that was really nice. And just, yeah, in terms of working with the co-op, I mean, it was, it's, it's really nice. Everything's open, you know, a few chats in the forum and then a few more practical matters being dealt with uh, like uh, just more direct lines. And um, I mean, for, for a DAO or for, for, for a co-op of many people, you guys are able to pretty, uh, 
act, act pretty quickly, which is really nice. Sometimes um, I know our, our liquidity mining program is not like, you know, it's, it's, as we said, it's like two weeks and then we say, okay, this round is ending. Do you want to do it again? You guys have been able to, you know, a, a common um, like uh, negative against like large organizations or, or these decentralized organizations is like apathy or slow movingness, but uh, that has not been the case at all. So that's really nice. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Obviously, I have I've, I've only good things to say. I, I hope we continue to have DPI as like a pretty flagship product on layer two. Um, I'm really I'm really excited for its future. And, and as you know, we just listed DPI ETH order books. So back to the other conversation as like there's not that many order book pairs listed on Loopring right now, but DPI ETH is one of them. And we have not um, together, our, our, our groups have not incentivized that order book yet. It's still in the AMM. So even right now, we're, I guess we're kind of running an experiment, right? Will people go to the DPI ETH book just because it's there? The answer is uh, sadly, but unsurprisingly, no. Uh, it's not such a deep book because if people want to provide DPI ETH liquidity, they, A, as, again, it's always easier for the average person, my, myself included, to just deposit and passively earn fees and earn index versus running a trading bot on DPIE. But yeah, so right now there's not that many people there, but we um, maybe together we could try to, to get DPIE liquid there again for the capital efficiency reasons to have true market making professionals or, or hobbyists there. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to keep experimenting with the index co-op and get DPI ETH uh, really going on Ethereum layer two. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see maybe, you know, when you guys blend the order book with AMM liquidity, we can just incentivize. Like, I don't know if we still need to incentivize both or if we can incentivize one or if, you know, we're just incentivizing AMM, uh, but the um, sort of the, the back end is, is, is blended then the market makers will actually see a higher volume. Um, right. So that's, that'll be interesting to see. Exactly. I, um, this will be, uh, this will be a, a really good experiment for, for when it is blended. And again, like I, I just think, I think DPI is in a unique position uh, to attract these. I, I think it just, it's like, it's a nice thing to have, a different sort, to, the same way that you answer, you asked that question that we, we don't have a conclusive answer to. Um, it's just a, it's an objectively good thing to have different sorts of market participants interested in your product, especially if your product is like a very mass marketable kind of like easy story, right? Uh, like, hey, this, this is all, all that DeFi you keep hearing about. This is um, you know, one of the best vehicles to 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 gain exposure to it. Um, I think it just it's it's a really good story to have professional market make like you know it's going to be pretty crazy when you have like professional market makers quoting DPI ETH right. It it kind of um, it legitimizes it. It comes uh, like the same way that ETFs uh, in the real world you have huge market making operations. Uh, you know, firms their bread and butter being the uh, you know, creating and redeeming these index funds. When you have those sorts of people doing the same thing for for DPI on Ethereum, like on, on scalable Ethereum order books, it's uh, 
it's really cool. It, it, it's kind of like a win for the space. It's like, it's just like, it's like, this is a, you know, Ethereum DeFi index on an Ethereum scalable exchange. It's, uh, you know, with professional behavior or like styles of trading, like, right, take your programmatic uh, strategy from Binance, plug it into Loopring and do that for DPI. It's, um, it, it just, it's a really nice story. We, we are really glad that it's working out well so far, um, DPI on, on Loopring. Yeah, so it's it's definitely a, a a brave new world for for us and and for the space. Matt, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your your thoughts and and your insights. It's definitely uh, really helpful for for me and and for uh, our listener, listeners. I'm sure, and uh, you know, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you guys so much. I enjoyed it uh, very much, and um, appreciate you having me. Great. Well, look forward to working with you guys uh, down the line and uh, trying out, you know, order book and, and uh, other interesting initiatives. Please do. Our, our users love the, uh, the, the index reward. So uh, I'll, I'll speak for, for all loop ringers and say, keep them coming, please. Uh, we won't let you down. It's, it's a, it's a good place to be incentivizing it. So, so um, please keep it coming. And, you know, actually I'll, I'll say one thing, what we need, we need now, a liquid index ETH market, um, which is not so liquid right now, if I remember correctly, on Loopring. So people, which I guess is a good thing. I mean, people are earning index and they're they don't so much care to sell it on uh, on Loopring. They're they're holding it, but nonetheless, a, a liquid index ETH market would be would be nice to have either AMM or order book. So that's my request for the uh, index uh, co-opers listening. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll take it to the community. All right, Matt. Uh, thanks for your time. Talk to you soon. Uh, have a good day, man. Thank you, guys. Bye, bye.